0: Our reading today from the Gospel of Luke takes up shortly after the angel has visited Mary, and Mary has said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah. And greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, The child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made our ancestors to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. The Herdmans were the worst kids in the whole world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls, and talked dirty and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain. So begins the introduction to the best Christmas pageant ever. One day, all six of the herdmen show up at Sunday school on account of rumors that there would be food. They elbow their way into plum rolls for the annual Christmas pageant. It's a memorable show in more ways than one. Gladys, playing an angel with scuffed sneakers, hollers, hey, unto you a child is born, and shoves the shepherds toward the manger. Imogene, meanwhile, is so unexpectedly moved by her role as Mary that her dirty cheeks are stained with tears by the end of what was, at least at one point, the best Christmas pageant ever. Obviously, the author of that story hasn't been to one of our family services at First Congo. We are definitely contenders for the title You'll have to forgive me for talking Christmas pageants. By this time in December, a solid 89% of my brain functions are focused on pageant preparations. An earlier draft of this sermon estimated a lower percentage. But just last night, I endured a long and detailed anxiety dream about a particularly chaotic pageant rehearsal. None of my helpers came. It was very scary. Another contender for Best Christmas Pageant, a Korean language script that was written by a colleague from my days in California. Called No Vacancy, the story is a play within a play, unfolding in a Korean American church in Los Angeles. Members are gathered to rehearse for a classic Christmas pageant recreating the biblical narratives of Christ's birth. The director has decided to take a compassionate risk. She casts Daxun, a young woman with intellectual disabilities, in the role of the innkeeper. Her one line is simple. She must refuse to give Mary and Joseph a room in her inn. The rest of the cast is disappointed, even a little insulted, that their play is going to be compromised by Duksoon's limitations. The director insists that they accept her, which they reluctantly do. For all their good intentions, the rehearsals are trying. Duksoon struggles to pronounce her words and is far from a natural at acting. Yet she is thrilled to be a part of it, and secretly wishes it would snow when they perform the play on Christmas Eve. The curtain rises on the big night. All is well until Mary and Joseph knock on the innkeeper's door. Duksoon is caught up in the moment and completely forgets that what is happening is not real. She is so moved by the laboring woman's need that she begs the couple not to go away, offering up her own room. The cast is furious. The whole Christmas story is predicated on there being no vacancy for Mary and Joseph. The play is ruined. Duksoon flees to an empty room of the church in tears. She hadn't meant to break from the script, it just happened. She begins to pray, contemplating the story that she knows by heart, that the little child born that night is God's love made flesh. As she prays, snow begins falling from the Los Angeles sky. Now, I've never actually watched a Hallmark movie, but that part sounds like it would fit right in. There is something about this story that just wants to come alive through drama. And alive, it does come often in new and unexpected ways. Some of my favorite memories as a child were in Christmas pageants. One year, I was a dancing camel. Who cares if camels didn't dance, or for that matter, that the magi and the shepherds aren't ever actually in the same place at the same time in the Bible, something about play acting this story makes it real to us. This is why we have a record number of children in our pageant this year. This is why it will be standing room only when Joseph knocks on the door of the inn. That deep yearning for holy drama, for a Christmas pageant, is what moved Jean-Paul Sartre to write a nativity drama. You heard me right. Jean-Paul Sartre, the atheistic existentialist philosopher, wrote a Christmas play. It is not a well-known play, and I consider it something of A Minor Christmas Miracle That I Stumbled Upon Its Existence Years Ago While Researching Pageant Ideas. Sartre wrote the play for his fellow prisoners while he was imprisoned in a Nazi camp in 1940. When the play was published 20 years later, he reassured readers that it did not emerge from any sort of personal faith in God. The fact that I took my subject from Christian mythology does not mean that the drift of my thinking changed, even for a moment during my captivity, he wrote. All I did was work with the priests who were my fellow prisoners to find a subject which could bring about on that Christmas Eve the broadest possible union of Christians and unbelievers. The play did not emerge from any sort of personal faith in God, yet Sartre's hospitality toward his believing brothers and sisters is deeply moving, and so too is the play itself. At one point in the script, the narrator shows the audience a picture of the holy family and speaks these words. Because today is Christmas, you have the right to demand that I show you the crib. Here it is. Here is the virgin, and here is Joseph, and here is the baby Jesus. The artist has put all his love into this picture, but you may find it a little simple-minded. Look, the characters have fine ornaments, but they're stiff. You'd take them for puppets. They certainly weren't like that. You only have to close your eyes to hear me, and I'll tell you how I see them inside of me. The Virgin is pale and looking at the child. What you ought to paint on her face is an anxious amazement that has only once appeared on a human face. Because Christ is her child, flesh of her flesh, and the fruit of her womb. She carried him nine months, and she'll give him her breast, and her milk will become God's blood. She looks at him and thinks, this God is my baby. This divine flesh is my flesh. He is made of me. He has my eyes, and the shape of his mouth is the shape of mine. He looks like me. He is God, and he looks like me. And no woman has ever had her God just for herself that way. A tiny little God you can take in your arms and cover with kisses. A God all warm and smiling and breathing. And it is in those moments that I would paint Mary if I were a painter. And I would try to render the expression of tender boldness and timidity with which she reaches out her finger to touch the sweet, small skin of this godchild whose warm weight she feels in her lap and who smiles at her. And that's that on Jesus and the Virgin Mary, according to Sark. I have yet to encounter a more beautiful rendering of what Mary might have pondered in her heart as she held Jesus in her arms. But I get ahead of myself. I always did want to rush through the last hard days of pregnancy. In our scripture today, Mary does not yet hold Jesus in her arms. Mary holds Jesus in her womb. And the words she speaks are not ponderous at all. The words she speaks are fierce and unapologetic, radical and prophetic. Mary sings of a God who reaches down and touches the pain of God's people. Mary sings of a God who uplifts victims of economic poverty and political violence. Mary sings of a God who sends the proud packing, who deposes corrupt kings who are fluent in the ways of domination and violence. Mary's Magnificat is a stark and startling song. Throughout these weeks of Advent, we have been dwelling on the theme of making room. Making room for hope, for peace, for joy, and for love. And that's the thread, folks. That is the theme. Making room can be uncomfortable. Maybe it would be easier to leave the herdman's out altogether and to cast an innkeeper who will dependably send the Holy Family to the stable. Maybe it would be easier to have fewer than 17 angels in our own pageant. And yet, the miracles unfold when we have the courage to make room for love. Making room can be unpredictable. Who would have thought the existential atheist would make room for his fellow prisoners to celebrate the birth of the Christ child? Who would have thought a young unmarried girl would be called upon to make room in her very body for the Son of God curled into the fetal position and pressing his head against her bladder? And yet, the miracles unfold when we have the courage to make room for love. This year we have a new set piece for our pageant. In addition to the traditional stable and manger, we'll have a heavy wooden door set at the bottom of these pulpit steps. It is the door Joseph knocks on in desperation, seeking rest for laboring Mary. It is the door between heaven and earth through which all those angels and their songs of glory will spill forth. It is the door of our own hearts. And it is up to us to determine if we will leave it ajar or lock the deadbolt. It is up to us to determine if we have the courage to make room, not just for the Christ born of Mary in Bethlehem, but for the least and the lost who bear his image today. As our little shepherd will say, Christ is in every stranger, every refugee too. When we send them away, we dismiss Christ anew. And the whole past and the whole congregation will respond with a sweet but haunting refrain. Who will leave Christ outside? Who will turn Christ away? Jesus, come in, and with us, please stay. May it be so. Amen.